Today's podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you guys listen to my podcast or know me personally, you know that sleep is a massive part of my life. And if you do any sort of research into sleep, it has massive effects on your running and performance in life. You're only as good as you can recover. And the best way to recover is with a good night of sleep. For me, a product I use to strengthen my sleep, particularly my deep sleep and REM sleep, the quality of my sleep is Pillar Performance. My go-to product from them is their triple magnesium, which has been a game changer for my sleep and recovery. It uses a high dose of glycinate magnesium, and I take it 30 minutes before bed each night. Where Pillar differs from other micronutrition you may have taken before is the tangible and measurable results you'll see on your fitness wearable. Again, I take it every night before bed, and I wear a whoop, and I've seen a significant increase in REM and deep sleep, and that has been an absolute game changer in my training. If you would like to try Pillar today, head to pillarperformance.shop or for my U.S. listeners, head to thefeed.com slash pillar and enter code DOMINIC in all caps for 15% off. That's DOMINIC for 15% off all first-time purchases. Again, I can't recommend this product enough and I highly recommend at least trying it out and seeing if it works for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and today on the podcast, I am joined by the one and only Jessica McLean. Jess had, I would say, the race of her life at this past 2024 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Orlando. She placed fourth, and so she'll be the U.S. alternate for that team uh, for the 2024 Paris Olympics, which is super exciting. And so much went into this race, and Jess just has a very unique story. So I knew I wanted to get her on the podcast and a lot of former podcast guests were teammates with her while she was at Stanford. I believe she was a seven time all American, which is absolutely astounding. And Jess has gone on a lot of podcasts recently, breaking down the race and whatnot. And we definitely get into the race, but for today's conversation, I wanted to make it a little more well-rounded and holistic and talk about some of the other aspects that make Jess Jess and some of the things that went into race day. And so today's conversation is honestly just a holistic conversation with an incredible individual who happens to run fast and also give back to her community in amazing ways and is just an incredible individual. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation and are specifically inspired by Jess and her testimony and witness to being excellent at multiple things in life and chipping away at what she's passionate about. If you do enjoy today's episode, consider sharing it with someone who you think would find value and benefit from it. And with all of those notes aside, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the one and only Jessica McLean. Jessica McLean, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Dominic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I want to go back a week from today. So we're recording this on Friday, February 9th. A week ago, that Friday, what was Jess thinking? Yeah, I. Uh, it's a great question. Pre, pre-race day. Um, I, I think I came into the race like very relaxed. Um, honestly, didn't think much about it. Most of my nerves hit uh, that Monday uh, race week start. So I think I got a lot of the jitteriness out <laughs> that day. I don't know why. I think it was just, you know, the Sunday scaries happened. I had work and I woke up and I just realized like, oh my God, it's like Olympic marathon trials week. Something that I've been, um, you know, I've been thinking and dreaming about an Olympic trials for a long time. And then a marathon is daunting in itself. So um, and just playing over and over in my head, like how the race could go, 
you hear talk of like, okay, and in, in what's going on on the internet with how fit so-and-so is and the workouts people are doing. So there's a lot of like mental um, self-talk and work that has to go into preparing for obviously not just a big stage like that, but a race that that's that long. Um, so got a lot of the jitters out Friday. And then for some reason I, I did my like pre-race workout on Wednesday. And then after that, like a lot of nerves went away. So Friday was just uh, waking up. I slept in, um, got my bottles all prepared. We had to do that by a certain time. So drop those off. And then um, I love road racing because in track, like pre-meet is a whole thing. Like it takes, you have to go to the track, you bring your spikes, you like do drills, you warm up, you go for a run, you do your like fast reps um, and you're there for like an hour or two. And, and for me, that was always like, so much time to just like mentally be in the race environment that I would be the next day, like just being in that, in that mind space for that long, the day before a race, just, I don't think that's my vibe at all. So Friday was great. I like slept in, got lunch. I was like, Oh, I think I'll go for my like 18 to 22 minute jog. And I did. Um, I walked like to a bike path and did a few little like skips and hops and work, you know, like warm ups and and then I uh, got into my run, put my playlist in, finished at the hotel, stretched for a second and like got in the shower and I was done running for the day and thinking about it. Um, and then just had a good dinner, a low key dinner. I uh, got to bed early and it was a very relaxed day. The vibes were great. I loved it. Definitely want to get into this a little bit more when we talk about the race because I have a funny story to share in relation to it. But you had a lot of family and friends there. I'm not exactly sure I want to have you speak on this who were all decked out in branded McLean t-shirts. And that's how I knew they were with you uh, there. How many people came to the race and what did that mean to you? And and what was the process? Who traveled with you? Who came in? And uh, what was that like to have such a big support crew there? It was so fun. Um, I had my mom, my dad, my brother, my brother's wife, Caroline, um, my in-laws. So my father-in-law, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, um, her husband, my my husband, of course, Connor, um, my aunt and my uncle on my dad's side, um, and then my cousin and his wife on my mom's side. So it was like such a cool um, thing to have all of them there. Um, obviously they'd come to like races here and there throughout my career. And, um, but this was just such a special one because I mean, it, it was the Olympic trials. And like, I knew in my mind, like how fun it was going to be from a, a spectator perspective. And I don't think, um, they knew it would be awesome, but I don't think they knew the level to which it would be like crazy out there on the course. So I knew like, no matter how I ran, they would have an amazing time there regardless. Um, but yeah, the shirts were hilarious. I had no idea that was happening. Yeah, just a really cool experience. And um, my my sister-in-law, my my brother's wife, her mom, Pam, was also there. And we actually lost her husband almost a year ago to like a very rapid, fatal, um, fast-acting degenerative brain disease. So um, I felt like he was there too. And he's like the biggest running fan, was actually one of the ones to come to most of my races here in Phoenix when I moved back. Um, so it was really sad that he couldn't be there, but I feel like his spirit was there and to have like Pam and Caroline, <laughs> there representing, um, their family and like what running is meant to them was so cool. So it was just like a lot of love. I felt a lot of love. And, um, there were points on the course where I was like, okay, you cannot cry during a marathon. Like that. <laughs> that couldn't be like, um, you know, more from the headspace I should be in, but I, 
you know, I, I was definitely like in my feels leading up to the race, walking to the start. I saw my brother and we've never had like that pre-race moment because for him running was like the worst, not the worst thing, but it was as a kid for him, I'm sure so annoying. Like my parents were at every race of mine, they dragged him to the ones that I would compete in in California. And, uh, I don't think it was until college until he was like, he actually like liked it. Um, and voluntarily came to, to some of my races. So to see him like jazzed and excited before was really cool. So it was, yeah, it was like one of my favorite days ever. It was awesome. Whether it was this past Saturday or as you were talking about growing up in middle school, high school, your parents, how vital and important has family and a support system been in your running career? It's been amazing. And I think, um, you know, I'm not a parent, but I have friends who have kids and it's a huge testament to, to parents who can like, especially parents of kids who have a gift, like all, I think everybody's born with something they're really good at. And it takes, it takes time to find out what that is, but, um, especially parents who have kids who are like elite from a young age, it's like, how do you not just want to do everything to, to help them like really, um, you know, become the the athlete or whatever it is that they're showing there are signs of. And I think my parents did a really good job of, um, there was a good balance there. Like my dad was always just my dad and supportive and he traveled a lot for work when I was young. So like he was just there to like cheer for me and, and be, you know, my dad. And, but my mom was always just like very tuned into the running world, like from the beginning. And she was an athlete growing up. Um, was a swimmer and basketball player and her and her family are so competitive. So I think from like my early soccer days and running age, she, she knew um, that there was something there that um, could get me pretty far. So there was this like good balance. And one, a story that's like my favorite of all time is uh, I was supposed to race like one of my first track meets as like a young kid. And my mom, for some reason, couldn't take me. So it was my dad's chance to like, you know, drive me to the meet and, and yada, yada, yada. And he, I was so nervous <laughs> that he actually was like, why don't we just go get like ice cream instead and totally like bail <laughs> on this, this race today. And, um, that's why I love him. And then I love my mom because she's like, no, you're doing this. Like, it's going to, you know, it's going to be hard and it's going to be, it's going to hurt, but like, you're doing this. So it's, I had like the perfect balance, the perfect support system. I've always had friends that, um, like bless their hearts, like put up with my running thing and understood it and supported me. Um, and then like, let me be fun Jess and turn it off when we hung out. And so I, I've always had this good balance. And I think that that's been something that's gotten me this far, because I think a lot of us who started running really young, went to Foot Locker Nationals as high school kids, like it's tough to keep going at a high level. Um, and I think a, a testament, it's a huge testament to like my supporters, my my you know bubble and my family and friends and coaches and everybody who's gotten me here. So I have to ask you, did you end up skipping the race and getting ice cream? I think we did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did. I love I it. <laughs> I love it. So talking about your dad a little bit more, I texted Vanessa and Elise yesterday. I was like, what should I ask? What should oh, I ask God. Jess? What, uh, what, rabbit hole should we get into? And one of the things yeah. Vanessa mes me mentioned that I should bring up is apparently you had a conversation with your dad about, you know, what was realistic for your running future. And that was pretty impactful for you. Can you take me mm. through this conversation? Um, years removed from the ice cream conversation. 
Yeah. Okay. When was that? That would have been, it was like one of my last years as a Brooks athlete and a pro athlete. Um, our favorite place growing up to go to in the summer was Lake Tahoe in California. So we were in Lake Tahoe and it was unfortunately like really bad fire season there that year. So like the lake was super smoky. You could barely see across it. Um, I was kind of in between, like I had had a crappy track season and my, my season was winding down. So I was like kind of running, kind of not. And my dad, I remember sitting on like the back porch with him in Tahoe and he just, it was like a come to Jesus, you know, conversation. He's a businessman, entrepreneur through and through. And he basically was like, Hey, look, this is the living you're making. And you're living in a city like Seattle. You've been hurt X amount of times. Um, in order to make a team, you need to run this kind yeah. of time. And, uh, the odds that you can do that based off of what I've seen are fairly low. <laughs> okay. And as, as you know, a daughter who's like, I feel, I felt like I was down here, but I, I feel like that was probably a conversation I needed to hear so badly because I was settling for like, I think my biggest fear in life is to, to be just mediocre and complacent. And, and for some reason I was just okay with being in that. Um, I was okay with just being average and complacent and not being honest with myself with the fact that, okay, maybe I do need to switch things up and, and really think about the longevity of my career. Is this something I want to do? Um, so yeah, that conversation was really interesting because I'm like, okay, we're here in my favorite place and it's smoky and this sucks. And you're telling me that like this running thing is not like for what, for what it is right now, it's not, um, going to prove to be a good, um, like, thing to support me as just like an adult that has goals in life. So yeah, I, I went back and I thought really hard after that. Um, and that's why I love my dad. He comes at it from like, I know it's your passion and you've been doing this since you were 12 and you feel like you need to keep going. Uh, but he's like, you don't need to, you have this degree that you also busted your ass for and you're smart and you have all these other things going for you. So why not like also pour yourself into those buckets? Um, and see what you can do as just a young professional outside of running. So uh, that's why I love my dad because he told me what I like needed to hear um, and not, not necessarily what I wanted to hear. But I think that was a huge shift for me, for sure. Um, yeah, just funny like that, that it was just a conversation casually having, you know, on the back porch during a, a wildfire. I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> I think a common theme I've heard in a lot of conversations with super successful people and specifically runners is them taking a step back from the thing they're super passionate about and through that kind yeah. of redeveloping a love and new appreciation for the sport. Even most recently I had on Gabby Thomas, who's like on top of the world, potentially a favorite yeah. for 200 in, in uh, Paris this year. Okay. And very few people know that she took eight weeks off to do like a program in West Africa when she was at Harvard, didn't run a step, didn't work out. And she said yeah. she wouldn't be where she is today if it wasn't for taking a step back. Sounds like something yeah. similar for you, taking that step back, kind of reinvigorated mm -hmm. your love for the sport. Can you walk me through taking a step back? How hard was it? But ultimately looking back on it, how crucial was it for your longevity in the sport? Great question. Um, I think mine happened pretty like like obviously a, a pandemic, a global pandemic is awful. Um, but I think COVID 
a lot of silver linings came came out of that for me personally because uh i mean no racing was happening um you know you'd get yelled at for running in a group if if you're out you know jogging with friends so it was a time where i was like pretty i felt very lonely in running and typically running is like an outlet for me and i always feel better after a run of course it's like hard to get out the door when it's 90 degrees here at 5 a.m and you have to in arizona but i think COVID allowed me to like naturally take a step back and focus on other things um and so it was timely that you know that all it was crappy because i was supposed to debut in a half marathon and i was super fit probably the fittest i'd, I'd been in a very long time um so that was definitely a hard blow but i think i just kind of seized the opportunity to pour myself into work and um my family i had just moved in with my now husband uh in january of 2020 so like that was a whole thing to navigate, like being early on in a relationship and <laughs> then moving in together and like navigating a pandemic together. Um, so there were a lot of other things to focus on, which I think was good for me. Um, but also what I find interesting is like when people decide that they want to take a step back or put things on pause or take a breather, like they feel like they have to announce that to the world. And I, I don't think I had a running the pressure on like social media or whatever it was to like, feel like I had to do that. And I get why, like I, if, if you're a big deal and you've got like the backing of a brand and you've been quiet for a little bit, like a lot of time goes into developing your brand and like, and all of that great stuff. But I think I was also fortunate to just not have that pressure at all either. Um, so I just did what was best for me. And, uh, it was tough. Like the pandemic was probably tough. I mean, obviously for so many people and, um, running didn't feel like an outlet for me anymore. So I was like, okay, what, what's going to make me feel the way running used to, or, or should have been making me feel. Um, and then I took so much time away that I really missed it and not only just running, but like racing. So that's when I knew, like when I missed the racing part, um, that's when I knew like, okay, there's still that, that drive and that fire in there. Um, because a lot of people take a step back and they're like, you know what? I love some of them won't run another step ever again, which makes me sad, um, but I get it. And then some are like, I love to just go out for a run and like stay fit and it's different now. But for me, I was like, okay, I miss racing. So that was like, after I got married and all that good stuff, um, I kind of like figured out how to, to slowly ease back into the whole racing thing. So long-winded answer, but <laughs> you mentioned to me kind of the aspect of not making a big social media post about, you know, your decision and what you were going through at that time before recording, yeah. we were talking about your Instagram a little bit. You mentioned to me that if someone was to go on, it's a lot of weddings, dogs, <laughs> travel, etc. for you, how yeah. important is it to kind of have those other aspects of your life, but also post about them and not make every post about crushing a long run or I'm doing this race or I'm taking a step back from the sport and, and really have a holistic view on life. Yeah, I think it goes way beyond just social media. I love my friends. I have like the funniest, amazing friends ever. Um, college friends are the, you know, my best friends and they were in my wedding and um, my teammates from, from Stanford and then my high school friends I reconnected with when I moved back and they are just like 
the silliest, goofiest women ever. We do themed, you know, we'll do like theme bar crawls and theme parties. And um, a, a few of them are getting married next year. So we've been doing, you know, all of this fun celebrate celebratory things for them. Um, so it's been fun to like not be tied to, um, and this kind of like goes into not having a coach and like all that set infrastructure that typically I would have had to have asked permission to like go to a wedding or like fly to this place for this reason. And now it's like, okay, I can pivot my training and work it around all of the things I want to do and the friends I want to celebrate and the family trips I want to go on. And there's like no pressure. I don't have to ask anybody to do that. I just do it. Um, so that's been a whole like stress reliever for me is to like running is no longer what I'm planning everything else around. It's what I'm doing around work and my family and my friends. And it's just so fun to do that. Maybe a hot take question here. So feel free to answer however you want to. Do you think more runners at any distance should rethink how they approach their training and life? Given, I think we've started to see a shift with people like you or Kira D'Amato, or we could list other names where they do yeah. seem to have a lot more like holistic view on life and mixed training in with their life. Whereas I feel like in the past, and it still is predominantly today, it's like running, running, running for most people, you know, training camps, altitude camps, you know, people yeah. set their house to a certain altitude, like all the crazy things that people have done and are doing. Do you think more people should rethink how they train and approach running? I think only if what they're doing is not working and they're not happy and it's not giving them confidence. Um, a lot of what gives other athletes confidence actually isn't what gives me confidence. So like altitude training, my body doesn't love it. Um, I think I would do it differently than I did. Um, as a young pro, I would actually like start my altitude training or do a stint like at the beginning of my build where it's like your base building, you're maybe doing strides, really like workouts, longer, steady runs, like, um, Altitude's never been a good fix for me. I've pretty much gotten hurt during or after every altitude stint that I've done. Um, and then, you know, as far as like, I don't know, that's tough because I think, I, I hope there's athletes out there that, you know, if they feel like they've been in a rut or a hole or running and training isn't bringing them jo like joy anymore. Um, I think that's when you need to rethink like what, what you could change and not change everything all at once. Like I made like slight adjustments. Like I didn't just, you know, take everything that was making me unhappy and then just completely like flip it on its head over the course of like a few weeks. Like it took me years to figure out the right recipe for myself, but it's like, okay, what are little things you can change or adjust or eliminate that will like bring, like, I don't know, just make it less stressful or make it less of, um, I don't know, easier to get out the door and more, make it more joyful. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the short answer is like, yes, but it's totally on an independent basis. Um, totally depends on the athlete. Um, if you get confidence from going and you're all in is like joining a team, running two times a day, going to altitude camp, like two times a year, um, leaving no stone unturned um, in your mind, then that's great. Uh, for me, it was like I get confidence from doing everything I can as an athlete, recovery-wise, training-wise, but also living a full life because if I go to a race and it goes well, awesome. That's just an added bonus. If it doesn't, like I go back to normal life. I have my job. 
I'm not going to lose money because I didn't run well. I have my family. I, I know I have fun friend commitments coming up. So it's like I get confidence from that because I just know I, I'm doing everything I need to on the on the roads and in training. But then I have this like whole other life for me at home, which is awesome. When you're talking there, it definitely reminded me of your college coach, Coach Milt. When I've talked with him in our conversations, he's always had a very like holistic, sustainable approach to his athletes yeah. and to how he approaches um, how he approaches them approaching the balance of school, life, social, et cetera. What was the influence he had on you personally in your years at Stanford? Oh my God. Coach Milt was probably like the best thing that could have happened to me um, in so many ways. He, and it's funny because we text here and there, like we haven't kept in great touch. Um, he texted me obviously this weekend and I, I hope I get to like catch up with him soon. But like, there are so many things that I've applied to my life um, just from the time I worked with him. And a lot of it too is, you know, he's like, when you guys are at practice, like you're at practice and to tell a bunch of Stanford kids that like, it's hard. Like we are thinking about a million different things. Like we're streaming into practice from track, you know, from class and like all these stressful things. And, but he's like, when you're here, you're here. I don't want to see phones when you're in the locker room, like you're talking with your teammates, you're like living in those little moments. Um, and you're like present in the moment, but when you're in class, like, don't think about running, like you be in class, you do what you need to do to be a great student. And then he's like, when you're not in class and you're not an athlete, like go have fun. Um, like there were so many times I ran really well and I'm like, you know, we're off, we're getting off the bus from the airport back at the track at the, the palm tree we would meet at. And he's, he would literally tell me like, go have some fun this weekend. Like that was, what we're celebrating. And I think that that is so cool. Like, um, I, I just, I think that's to be present is so hard now. Like that's a whole nother conversation with like everything that's like on our phones and social media and like it, NIL deals now for college kids has probably shifted a lot of things, but like he taught me that like just to enjoy the moment and not just like the big moments, but like the little ones. So that, that was really great. And then he, one of his like mottos was always like, when it starts to get tough and everybody else is, you know, starting to, to doubt themselves, like that's when we love it. <laughs> like that's when we start to have fun. And like you, he just pounded that into us. And I think Fiona actually included that like in one of her Instagram, like post-race captions. And it's so funny to like, see like, not funny. It's cool to see athletes that came well, you know, after me and are young to also take the same things that he instilled in us and, and like have that be used as inspiration and in, in their approach as well. So he was fantastic. Had an open door policy. Like you could come into his office and talk to him about pretty much anything. Um, I think he and his wife set Colleen set such a great example for how to like balance family and a job that is so hard. Um, and I was a volunteer assistant coach for a little bit at ASU. And um, I was like, like, I'm barely doing anything that like to the to level which like full-time coaches do. And I'm like, how do you do this and have a full-on family? And um, it, like, I just respect him so much. And uh, I hope he knows that. I think he does. And there's a bunch of us that do. Um, but yeah, I'm like forever grateful to Coach Milt. I feel like your years at Stanford, you were there at such a fun era and you had so many incredible teammates. Yeah. What were those years like for you and how fun was it? And how fun is it to look back on those years, which were definitely transformative for you, not just as an athlete, but also a person? 
it was so fun. Like you come in as a, a freshman and you're like running on a team with people like Chris Derrick and um, Kathy Kroger and like these women and men who are just like they on the outside just seem like they have it all figured out. And you're like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to fit in here and like um, measure up to the people that I was around? But it was the Stanford was such a unique experience. It's a sm relatively small undergrad experience, like six or 7,000 undergrad. And then you're on a campus with like double that or triple that of, of graduate students. Um, so it was definitely unique. Uh, and you're in Palo Alto. It's a pricey city. So like most of us did everything on campus. You actually live on campus all four years. Um, so I, it was just a really cool very, very cool and unique co collegiate experience. Um, and I think it, it was tough, like, don't get me wrong. Academics were so hard, um, but my ma I majored in, uh, in, in minored in communication. So it wasn't like a pre-med track or like a pre-law track or something that, I mean, I, I worked very hard as a student, but like I got to the point in my running career there where I could make the choice of like really going all in on running and still being a great student and obviously like living in, you know, fulfilling my academic goals as well. But um, it was very cool to like get the opportunity to work with a coach like Coach Milt who had the, um, yeah, he just basically worked with me and got me to the point where I could believe in myself that I could do this like after college um, and but Stanford was a place too, where we just had a lot of fun. Like we were so goofy. Some of the things I look back on that we did were, are just like hilarious. Um, and I don't think would happen on like other college campuses. And we were just a really close knit group. Um, so it was, it was very fun. And I was fortunate too, to have like the pre-season camps as a freshman to go into and like have that network of friends already built in by the time school started. So um, yeah, everything, everything was great. It was hard. Like it was really hard, but it was, it was awesome. Before Stanford, you were absolutely killing it, which is no surprise given you went to Stanford, you kind of have to. Uh, but <laughs> I think the biggest stat that blew me away was that you were a four-time qualifier for the Foot Locker National Meet. I don't know how many kids have done that in history. I think that's absolutely remarkable. How are you able to be so consistent all four years? And what's it like to look back on that and be like, wow, I was pretty good in high school because I feel like as a high schooler, you don't appreciate it. You're constantly looking towards yeah. the next thing. So how impressive Not is that to you looking back on young guys? Oh, so cool. I remember making my first Foot Locker national team and uh, I was so stressed because it aligned nationals in um, Coronado, San Diego aligned perfectly with a, a high school dance. And I was like, I don't think I can go to nationals because so-and-so asked me to the um, like winter dance and I need to go and like, you know, you're a freshman in high school and you, you have a dance and that's like all you kind of think about. Um, and my coach was like, no, you're going to nationals. <laughs> like, it's so rare, like to go and, and qualify and let alone as a freshman, like, no, you're going. And all my teammates were like, it's okay. Like, we'll pick you up from the airport and we're like, do you, you're, we'll do your hair in the car and it'll be fine. And you could do both. And, uh, so my freshman year, I was, I had no idea. Like I, uh, I don't know what it I had in me as a young kid. Um, I just loved to like win, like I, whether it was the PE mile, how I kind of got started in running um, after school, Hershey track and field program. Like I wanted to win all the time. And um, I think when I got on like the, the more 
you know, like regional scenes of running at Foot Locker West and Arcadia Invitational in California, and I was losing uh, to kids in California, I think I started to like, um, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a whole world of this like outside of Arizona. And it like made me almost like hungrier and more competitive. So yeah, I think like, and I, I was fortunate to be able to travel and, and do that as a high school kid and, and race outside of Phoenix and Arizona for sure. Um, but no, I look back on Foot Locker and I realize like how rare it is to have made it all four years. And um, I'm proud of myself as a high schooler to like um, not fully succumb to the pressure each year to like make it back and like get in my own head. Um, and I, I definitely had some, like once I started to have success as like a, a junior and senior and co like collegiate running became an option. I definitely um, was my own worst enemy sometimes and self-inflicted a lot of pressure. Um, and then there's the pressure of like getting a scholarship and like getting good grades in high school while you're still trying to run well. And it did get to be a lot. Um, so I, I had to do a lot of work to balance all that and like not be a freak about it <laughs> mentally. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's interesting to look back at high school because I am like, how did I do that? Um, and I think a lot of that too, is like the people I had around me and my support system, family and coach and, and, and all that for sure. Whether it's in high school with how accomplished you were or college or as a professional or now placing fourth in the U.S. in the marathon, how do you personally handle expectation? And what would be some advice to someone who struggles with the concept of other people putting expectations on themselves? Great question. Um, I, I guess I'm still trying to figure that out. I think like it's taken me a long time to get to where I am. Um, and you hear, you hear it all the time where you think like you build up in your head that there's all these people watching you. Like what happens if this race doesn't go well? Um, like it, like there's all these, and, and as an athlete, it's like so natural to get um, the nerves. And like, sometimes those, like those thoughts creep in that are somewhat catastrophic thinking somewhat negative, but I used to have those a lot. Like I would, the what if scenarios like were mostly negative a lot of the time. Um, not only leading into races, but during them. Um, and now I obviously get, I get them. Like, I'm like, oh, what? I was so stressed like the last few weeks about getting sick. Cause I was like, I have done everything in my power to stay healthy. Like nothing has gone wrong. You know, I was really sick in October and I was like, why are you so stressed about getting sick? Like, you're probably going to get yourself sick by like stressing yourself out. So my, my advice is always like control the controllables. Um, and I know that that's like so cliche, but coach Milt was always so good about that too. He's like, Hey, we can't control the weather. We can't control what other people are doing, but we can control how we prepare, how we react in races. Um, you know, if things go wrong or go un, you know, unplanned, uh, it, a lot of it is just like coaching and teaching yourself how to be adaptable and really working on like the self-talk. Um, I've done a lot of that work. Like just the minute the the thoughts start to creep in, I literally like imagine a fly swatter in my head and I'm like, no, like you've done, you've done everything right. Um, so yeah, it's like control the controllables, um, figure out what gives you confidence and really like think about, think about that. If it's your training, look back at your logs and like look at all the hard work you've done. Um, I think that's super powerful too to just like keep a really good log and um, be proud of all the work that you've put in. 
Um, yeah, it's a tough one though. Cause I think it's a lot of mental, you know, work that has to go in and everybody's so unique and different on what they're personally going through and working on. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I'd say. You mentioned to me in the context of bringing up the conversation you had with your dad a few years back that you essentially said something to the extent of like, you know, my biggest fear in life is being mediocre. How much do you think that interacts with the expectation? Because if you say that, I feel like the expectation you put on yourself is so much higher because you expect so much out of yourself. So you kind of spoke to this, but going a little bit deeper, how do you kind of intermix both of those in a hopefully trying to have it be a healthy way where it's like, you don't want to be mediocre. And with that comes the expectation and pressure you probably put on yourself. Yeah. I think, um, taking risks and like racing in, in competitions where the stakes were high or like a USA championship, like those kind of things used to scare me. And I think I let my fear of, of not doing well or being mediocre, like drive a lot of my training and like decision-making and, and I don't really know. Um, I did, I I did some like work in therapy after missing the trials in 2016 and that helped a lot. Um, but I, I haven't really like, I haven't dove back into a lot of, of that kind of work. And I think therapy is such a strong tool. Um, but I think it did take like taking a step away from the sport, um, realizing that, Hey, I've got, I've got all these other things going for me and I'm not just the professional runner. I'm just the X, Y, Z. I have so many other things going on in my life. Um, and yeah, I think I, I just let the fear of being average and not reaching my potential, like be at the forefront. And now it's like, I, I just don't have that anymore. Um, because I just, there's so many other things that I'm trying to, to also, um, pour myself into and, and learn, like I am in marketing and there's so much that I need to learn there. And I'm continuously like learning from the different clients I work with and I'm new to the nonprofit sector and there's so much I need to learn there, um, that I'm a complete novice at right now, but it's been cool to just have like other things to, um, try to excel at and not just the running. I think that's made me realize like I can be good at multiple things. And yes, it's hard to give like a hundred percent to everything that you're doing. Um, but it's been cool to like pour myself into other things completely too, because I think when I was just seeing myself in, in attaching my identity to running when that wasn't going well, I felt like I had nothing else. Like I just felt so lost and I felt like um what I was doing doesn't it didn't matter because everything I was doing was like for you know for my running and it was going so shitty that like I I just had nothing outside of that and I that's not the person I want to be like I want to be a great friend I want to be a great now you know wife brother your sister like friend like everything and I want to be a great marketer and a great executive director for the nonprofit that I work for and um, it's just cool to have like other things that, um, make me me and it's not just running. That's my identity anymore, which um, it was yeah. for a very long time. I love that. I appreciate you bringing that up. Cause I think it's such a deep hole that so many professional runners get themselves into of yeah. their identity wholly being running. And so when they get injured or don't make a team, 
their whole life comes crashing down because it is their entire life. What would you tell to yeah. someone younger listening who is really good and they haven't quite gotten to the stage where it, it's completely crashing down if things fail? What would you say to them to diversify their identity a little bit and put on other hats in case running isn't going well all the time, which it inevitably won't? Um, That's a tough one because like young kids, it's like when you find something you're good at, it's so fun, you know? Um, but obviously hindsight's 2020. 20, and then I, I remember the races that were awful for me and you were just so devastated, like crying in the backseat on the way home, not enjoying my like post race Burger King or whatever it was I was having then. But I think the beautiful thing too, about being young is like, you're able to kind of close the book a lot faster. Um, like I don't remember ever super dwelling in it. Uh, too much. And maybe that's a testament to like my coach and my parents. Um, I know I was lucky. Uh, but I think, yeah, there's a reason like when you're applying to colleges, like they want to look at like, yeah, your times are great, but they're like your, your college coach or potential coach isn't the one working admissions. Like they want to see, they want to hear about your entrance essay, like what makes you, you, um, they want to see your extracurriculars, like that you're well-rounded. What are your other passions? Like, how are you going to make their, um, school a stronger, better place? What are you bringing to the table as a whole, you know, student, student athlete, whatever it is that you are. Um, so yeah, my advice is more to like the parents out there because mine were so great and always like, um, encouraged us to try different things. And with my brother, we're like polar opposites. Like my parents would put him in soccer and like <laughs> baseball and he just hated it. And then he found golf and was an extremely good golfer from, from like a very young age. And they stuck me in lessons with him. And I'm like, I hate this. Like <laughs> we're moving at a glacial pace. You're in your head a hundred percent. Like I am just such a mental golfer and I'm so bad at it. And I pretty much quit like every single time I play, I'm like out by like whole eight and I'm just a professional caddy and like <laughs> hot dog eater. Um, and then he found mock trial too. And to like, to see my brother find his like passion and something that he's so good at from a young age, like was so, so cool, but it takes like failing and other things too, to find that. So it's hard because I think failing, like learning how to fail well. And if you're a parent, like teaching your kids, like how to to accept failure how to learn from it um how to see things through too like my parents were definitely of the mindset and i know connor's my husband's were too where it's like oh you you sign up for something like you're gonna finish the season you're gonna see it through because that's teaching commitment um how to cope with you know perhaps like doing something that is hard for you um and then also like how to explore new things um is so important too so I don't know. My advice is just like, learn how to learn how to fail well too, because I, you're going to, um, and I was so scared, like that falls into the whole, like being scared of being mediocre thing is like failing was so scary to me. Like it was so, so scary. But by the time I've like, there were so many times I've already psyched myself out and like put myself through that once by like thinking of all the scenarios and like, I oftentimes didn't fail. And it's like, oh, why, what could I have done if I didn't spend all that extra time, like thinking about how, how bad it could have gone, you know? Um, but definitely there's something you said too, that is so important. Like I felt like I was being a bad teammate, um, a bad, uh, 
pro athlete, a bad representative of a brand when I wanted to explore um, other passions during my time as a pro. I luckily like stuck to my guns and like held a very, very small marketing job, like pretty much my entire time in Seattle uh, for one of the companies that I'm actually working for now um, again. So it's like a full circle moment. Um, but it was always kind of viewed at like, oh, you're just you're just like preparing to fail. Like if you're, you know, like putting time into work and like spending time on your feet and like, you know, instead of like recovering and doing all this, like you're planning for running not to go well. And it's like, no, I, um, my brain needs to like work in other realms throughout the day versus just like watching TV and like sitting in Normatex and like rolling and doing like, and I had teammates who were so good at what they were doing because they were, um, totally like, that's what they wanted to do. Like they were a hundred percent all into running. That's how they operated and trained and raced best, which I commend so much, but like, that just wasn't me. And I think now there's a, there's a better understanding of like things like athletes, things just make athletes tick differently. And every athlete is different. And now brands are actually like implementing the infrastructure where you can you know, work, you know, work within the brand or, um, and I did have that, like I was able to do internships here and there, but like, I needed that constantly. Like I'm a, I'm a student of life. Like I want to always use my brain. Um, I always want to have a, a fallback and a plan B. Like I was very aware that an, an athlete's shelf life can be shorter than you think things can happen. Like I wanted to know that I was setting myself up well to have a career outside of running if I needed that. Um, so it's like, don't, don't let people tell you too, that you can't do something. Um, and like, find, like, if find the, the thing that makes you, um, your best self and, and the happiest and like really try to stick to that and advocate for yourself. Um, and I'm happy I did. I'm happy I continued to do that because I, I don't think I'd be able to like support myself outside of running, um, now if I didn't. Um, so We've mentioned a bunch of your passions in this conversation, but we haven't really dove into them outside of the running piece of you. Let's talk about some of the other pieces of you. Can you take me through some of your other passions and some of the other things you really love to do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I so at Stanford, I worked um, in a kitchen on campus like all five years, uh, much to Coach Mills' dismay. I think he at <laughs> one point was like, how many, because it was called um, hashing, so basically what you would do is you would work um, in a kitchen, either like in your dining hall or like wherever you lived on campus, and you would clean the dishes that the chef used to prepare the meal, or you would be the post-meal hasher where you'd come in and clean all the plates that the student used and clean down the kitchen. Um, and a lot of us were doing, like this was like a Stanford thing. We did it, everybody did it. The, the student athletes before me on the team did it. I like ended up doing it because i'm like oh i get to make extra money and like be in a kitchen and like that's so cool um and what's so funny is that like i totally discovered another passion uh for like industrial restaurant you know like the the back end of like working with the chef and seeing how they're you know cooking for 80 students and um i actually became like a kitchen manager on campus my last few years and uh, I student cooked on the weekends, so I would cook for 80 athletes or, or students rather, and I absolutely loved it. Um, so like I've I've always like loved the food industry. So I actually reached out to I had a it was a very big monsoon storm here a few years ago, and my husband and I were at our favorite restaurant, 
Um, it's called Perception here in Phoenix. And uh, the chef, head chef at the time was actually our server. And I was like, oh my God, I would like kill to like work with them here. I love it so much. And I had had like a few cocktails and Connor's just like, just ask him, like ask him if, you know, like if they're hiring or like if there's any, and I was like, no, I'm so nervous. And then I like, I told Connor, it's probably him and like liquid courage that gave me the, um, like the gumption to just be like, hi, um, I would love to have a conversation about how I could be like a part of your team. I'm in marketing. Like I follow you guys on Instagram. Um, and I ended up meeting with him, uh, funny story in the middle of one of my like best friends, birthday bar crawls. <laughs> this is my life. Um, and my friends are so supportive. They're like, no, you need to go meet with him. And then, um, you know, I came back and celebrated with them. I was obviously like training and I was sober and I was just there for, for fun for the birthday celebrations, but I peeled off, had this interview. Um, he basically was like, okay, so you want to, you like cooking, you like the business management side of the industry. And you also like social media, like you need to figure out like what your why is. And I think we can find something for you. Uh, but long story short, I actually prep cooked for them for a, a decent amount of time while I was like easing out of my corporate job, trying to find the next like big move for myself, ended up getting hurt. Um, because I was running like 80 miles a week and prep cooked on the weekends after long runs. And I was like, okay, this is probably not the right move, like cooking on my feet. Um, so then I fell into more of like um, a website, social media, like marketing role for them. And it's like one of my favorite little gigs. Um, and I love it. Like I love uh, helping them share their story and share their approach to food. Um, they use all local Arizona ingredients, which is so cool. Um, so that's one of my passions. I have a huge passion for dog rescue. Um, my mom grew up rescuing. We had a ton of rescues and foster dogs growing up. So, um, and, and we also were exposed to the foster youth, um, world. My mom was a court appointed social advocate for kids in between the system and their families and the court system. So I was exposed to that too. So now I'm the executive director of the love up foundation, which focuses on foster youth advocacy here in Arizona. And the owners of that nonprofit also own a dog rescue nonprofit. So I work in marketing. I know I work in marketing for them. So I've, I've found a, an awesome way to kind of like meld everything together. It's a hybrid situation. Like I'm from home right now. Um, I do a lot of like meetings out in the community and a lot of work in the community, which is awesome. Uh, better for me than like a desk job where I just feel like I'm not making a difference at all. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just been really cool. Um, and it took time. Like I'm, turning 32 next week. Like I didn't just figure this out. Um, it took a lot of like failing, like I said, to like figure out how I can set up my life in a way that makes me happy and fulfilled. Uh, and a lot of that too, is just like marrying somebody that also did that. <laughs> and I, by, you know, byproduct of being around Connor is that I have, have learned how to do that for myself with his encouragement. So yeah, I'm just really lucky. What's next for you? What's got you excited when you look ahead to this year, the rest of the year? What gets you most excited? Yeah. And do you get some downtime after after the trials and the million podcast tour you're doing right now? <laughs> it's been so fun. Um, yeah, I'm taking time off for sure. I don't think I'll run for another week or so. Uh, and I'm I'm excited to like build uh, build my training block for August. Like, obviously, I'm going to train for Paris um, just in case I'm needed. And then if, if not Paris, obviously I'm going to try and find a race that would time up really well, um, with, you know, the marathon training block, um, what makes me excited. It's obviously Phoenix in the summer is going to be 
super hot to to train in. So I, I'm going to have some, I might reach out to some like USATF experts and get some advice there. Um, people have asked about like, wouldn't a coach be helpful with that? Um, the answer is like, yes, but uh, I'm going to seek some guidance on, you know, how to best approach heat training and, and all that in Arizona. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll find a good race. I am not like against running a fall marathon or a spring marathon. So I'm going to look at all the options there and figure out what fits into life really well, um, and training. Uh, but yeah, I'm like really excited. It was funny. I, I came into this past weekend. Like I realized I didn't share a bunch of my goals, like with my family, um, Connor obviously knew and like my mom knew cause she's just, you know, she's, she's in it. But, uh, I realized I didn't really like say, Oh, I wanted top 10 or I wanted top five and what that would mean if I did, I did not think beyond February 3rd. Um, so now it's like I've got a lot to think about because I, I think I was just planning to kind of take it very, very chill on the racing front. But now I feel extra invigorated to like keep going. So I'm going to figure out what that will look like. And I'm really excited about it. Jess, for those who have listened to our conversation today and are inspired by all that you've accomplished, all that you've done, what would be the final words of wisdom you want to leave with our audience today? I think uh, it would be to uh, figure out like what makes you happy and that um, figuring that out and sticking up for yourself and advocating for yourself, like no matter what that looks like, is not selfish. Like obviously there's a great, the right way to carry yourself and to do it in a way that you would look back on and be proud of, but um, like take care of you. And, and when you're happy, like it trickles, it trickles out and there's a ripple effect and the people around you are affected by it positively. And, um, you know, you just bring a lot of good to the world when you're happy. And I think that, uh, yeah, it would just be to, to be you and find, find what your way is. And, um, yeah, like and enjoy the journey of finding that out too, because it's, there's no like rule book out there. Um, it's a lot of like trial and error, um, like be kind to yourself and be, be, um, your own best friend. Um, and yeah, that would, that would be my advice, I guess. Jess, uh, very excited to ask you this question now that I'm thinking about it because of your background in the food industry. So the final question I ask every single guest that has ever come on the podcast is if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Don't say that. You're, you are more than qualified. I've literally had people say like, I just pour him a, a thing of cereal. So whatever you say, I'm excited to hear. Definitely, definitely not beef Wellington. My favorite. <laughs> oh my God. My favorite there's a few favorite Gordon Ramsay one-liners. It's like idiot sandwich. And then there's the, uh, the, the squid is so raw. It's still telling SpongeBob to, SpongeBob to F off. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite insults of Ramsay's. Oh my God. I, I don't know what I would cook him. I think it would be, um, Hmm. I love making homemade pasta, but I feel like that's very risky, but, um, I feel like I would make like a homemade pasta dish um i love like making a good salad that's like hearty and has a good homemade dressing so maybe like a homemade pasta coupled with a really good beefy salad um or i've like been huge into soup lately but i don't i feel like that's kind of like you can't serve gordon ramsay a soup but um yeah maybe like homemade pasta <laughs> <laughs> 
You just listed like five dishes. I'm sure one of them would work. I'm sure one of them would work. (laughs) Well, Jess, greatly appreciate the conversation. And honestly, like the inspiration you are to so many, it's been so cool, not only to see what you accomplished last weekend, but like see the ripple effect and how many people have been inspired by you and the different parts of your story. I feel like a lot of people see themselves in you and one version of your story. So appreciate the conversation today and all that you're doing to not only give back to the sport, but give back to the world. So keep crushing it and excited to see all the things you'll accomplish this year. Thank you, Dominic. It was a really fun conversation. Um, Hope to be on again soon. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.